Hey everyone, welcome back to The Well Podcast. I'm Amber and I'm your host. Whether it's your first time listening or you're back for more, we are so glad you found us. But before we get going, let me ask you something. You guys remember middle school? Remember the awkwardness? You were done with the little kid years and you're starting to become a teenager? And let's just say that transition is not an overnight process. You do not wake up one morning and fully fit into a bra and expertly apply makeup. No. Sadly, the makeup application learning is an extended process. I for sure fell into the camp of people that carried this cycle of poorly splashing on cheap mascara and half-hearted eyeshadow well into my 20s. Congratulations to all of you that didn't struggle with this art, but I did. But either way, it's, it's like to get to the other side, to become a moderately put-together person, you have to go through it. We have to have middle school. So this is what I'm getting at. I do have a point. Right now, outside my window, here in Columbia, South Carolina, I feel like the seasons are in middle school. And frankly, it's unbearable to watch. I cannot set foot outside without swimming in pollen. The sky is a thick haze of yellow. There are streams of yellow swill collecting everywhere. My car and my shoes look like they went to kindergarten craft day. And no one can breathe. On the other side of this seasonal drama, there is the promise of blossoms and flowers and spring. But, mercy, it is hard to watch. I feel like spring's mom wanting her to brush her hair. Come on, spring, you can do this. I know you guys are ready to hear our story, so let's get to it. We are going to hear from my friend Portia. Portia works here at the church, and she is fantastic. I met her singing with her in choir many, many moons ago. She is brilliant and fun, and you will soon see that. Portia grew up in a multicultural family, and partly in Guam makes her even more unique for sharing her story. She shared that it's even less encouraged to talk about your pain there. Portia is interviewed by our very own Sarah that you all met last year when she shared her story with us. So here we go with Portia. So you mentioned that you are, you call South Carolina and Guam home. Yes. South Carolina first. South Carolina first. I grew up in Charleston. So tell us a little bit about Portia, little girl me, Portia. little girl Portia. Well, yeah. just so you know me a little bit, my, I come from a multicultural, multi-ethnic background. So on my mother's side, I am Tremoro, think Guamanian, um, Spanish, Japanese. On my father's side, I am Cherokee Indian, African American, and English. So... I am a walking United Nations, and I negotiate really well with myself, yes. Um, You do it well. I do it well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, As a little girl, I was like most little girls, although I didn't like Barbie dolls. I loved Tonka toys and puzzles and things like that. Um, We used to spend time at the beach during the summers. One of my favorite things to do was my cousin and I, we love, and some of you may be too young, I'm dating myself, we love the bionic woman and the six million dollar man. So there you go. <laughs> so I used to be Jamie Summers and he used to be Steve Austin. And we would go out into the woods where I lived and, and chase down Sasquatch. And we even had the me 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 Yeah, so it was pretty fun. Girl, I'm a mess. I done told you I was a mess. We were warned. Um, That's great. My parents owned a tackle shop, so as the eldest child, um, when I wasn't 
playing and daydreaming. Usually I came home, finished my homework, um, and then I, my sisters and I would go over to the store and we'd help stock refrigerators, um, count minnows, crickets, worms, so I do know how to handle you know, Canadian night crawlers and Georgia pinks, if any of you are fisher people. Um, I do know how to bait and fish, bait a hook, and they used to have video games and music, lots, always music, so, and railroad tracks. I love the railroad tracks. I used to run on them and wave at the engineer when he would drive by. They don't have them now. But, yeah. Yeah. What was family life like? Um, it was, it was good. It was, there were moments when we had fun times. Um, and there were not so good, there were not, there were moments that weren't so good. My father was absent a lot. Um, when he was there, it was great, um, but you never knew when he was going to be there when he wasn't. And my mother was the pillar for, for our family. Mm. Um, I think I was about eight when I started recognizing the, the disparateness in their relationship. Yeah. Um, so what did that, what did that look like? Um, with my dad, with my sisters and I, he was great. He always loved to play with us, and he was like the big buddy that you had. And because he had three girls, we got to learn things like sling hammers and use lawn, lawn mowers and things like that, climb trees, jump out of windows, um, just real kind of tomboy stuff. I, but, this is the first time I'm hearing this. I just wanted you to know. <laughs> this was not in the pre-interview. <laughs> I, just, I just remembered this. Girl, just saying. Like, girl, you're off script. You need to be on script. No, it's um, okay. <laughs> no, um, but with my mom and he, there was always a, a, an underlying tension and tumultuousness that I didn't quite understand, a lot of turmoil. Yeah. Um, there wasn't, you didn't communicate in my family um, so there definitely wasn't a lot of talking, and yeah. if there was, it was usually just brooding silence or a slamming door or something like that. Um, it was, I was about eight the first time I realized just how much my mother was going through. Um, we came home one night, and um, my dad was sitting on the back of, uh, sitting on the floor, and his back was against the sofa. And there was just something dark and heavy in the room. I, 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 you know, eight years old, you don't know what's going on. Um, so we got, her, my sisters and I got hurried into our bedroom. And I started hearing yelling and banging, banging around. And as the eldest, I, you know, thought, okay, well, what, what's going on? So I opened the door and I, um, my dad had taken my mom by the hair and drug her across the um, hallway of our, of our house. Um, and I remember just, just frozen in fear. So I closed the door and I ran back to the room and I put my sisters up in the corner of the bed. And you know, here's my little eight year old body and I'm not much taller now than I was then. But I remember just trying to hover over them and protect them because all I could think was he's gonna come for us next. Um, I also remember, Portia, you know how to jump out of windows. Open the window and jump out and go get help. But I was so paralyzed with fear, I, I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know how to do that. Um, so it was a lot to yeah. take in. Especially eight years old. Yeah. So, Portia, at that time, would you say you had a relationship with Jesus at eight? 
No, absolutely not. I had, now, y'all, I'm a nerd, okay? I'm just a straight-up nerd. I, I have, I've, I've gone to church almost all my life. Um, I have read the Bible several times. I've read the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nag Hamdai. I mean, you, you name it, I've probably, the Apocrypha, I've probably gotten my hands on it. But um, I did not, the head knowledge was there, certainly, um, and the going through the motions of being in church was there. I mean, I even was in the kids, you know, choir ensembles that did the pageant, the Christmas pageants, and I taught, you know, Sunday school for five-year-olds. So you had a head knowledge mm -hmm. and not a, a circumstance where the family unit really living out the gospel. No, we and, had no living out the gospel. Yeah. Um, and your dad didn't really mm -hmm. give an example at that time no, of a I, Christian... God -fearing no, man. we had no yeah. idea what a God-fearing, godly home looked like. Certainly didn't come from a home where we communicated. In fact, this is really freaking me out right now because culturally we don't talk about our stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough, girl. <laughs> um, so how did that start as you're going into preteen years how did that start playing itself out in your life oh I was a myth um so I I uh I started recognizing as I was getting older the disparateness between my mom and dad now that was the first and last time I had ever seen him hit her but the mental and the emotional and the verbal abuse continued for years um so by time I was, tw so this is what, at eight years old, this is what you've painted in your life. This is what a relationship is normal. That's, that's normal. Um, so by 12, I was drinking, and, and I don't mean I was tasting wine or sipping a beer. Girlfriends, I was straight up drinking hard liquor and moonshine. Um, and I recently found out that my great-grandfather on my paternal side was a bootlegger. So there's that. It runs in the family. <laughs> So, so, so I'm just a mess. Yeah, 12, uh, you're... 12, 12, I'm a mess, and I'm, I wanted to fit, and the other part is I wanted to fit in so badly because my girlfriends, they all looked like they had it put together, and, you know, they had the right clothes, the right things to say, and so this is the first time I think I remember making that first mask that I just wanted to fit in, and y'all, I wanted to fit in so badly, y'all... You, again, maybe too young. I don't know if y'all know Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Farrah Fawcett, she had that long, thick blonde hair, and it did that feather do. <laughs> I said, I want that. Well, girls, there's only one problem with that. I'm five <laughs> foot tall, and I've got some thick black dark hair that curls up when it sprinkles. I mean, if there's even a hint of rain, right? But I wanted that haircut, so I went off and I got the haircut. Man, it's thick back. Oh, yeah. About four seconds later, the whole thing <laughs> fell straight forward, and my, I got an afro going on. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was funny. It was, it was, I look back now, there's a picture of me somewhere on the internet, I'm sure, with the, I'm playing the, I'm in an honors uh, band with my flute, and my hair's all in my face. Yeah. So it's just. <laughs> what was that dog you said you looked like? Oh, Shaggy D.A. Yeah. I don't know if y'all know who Shaggy is. I don't know who that is, but I oh, trust it. You, you I'm just a babe. <laughs> too, too young for that. Anyway. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Um, you repent later. Yeah. <laughs> 12, you're drinking. 
15, I'm sexually active. Now, I justified that by I only had one boyfriend and I only did it with him. Um, and so there, there can't be a sin in that. And I'm gonna, for all you young people in the room, I'm gonna stop you right now. Just say no, just say no, okay? Don't rationalize it, don't think about it. Run in the other direction. It is, you're far too young. And at 15, even though I'm going through the physical act, I have no idea what the emotional and mental impact is gonna be. It catches up with you later in life and I promise you, just say no right now, please just say no. And for you parents out there that have young children, boys and girls, talk to them because when you don't have those conversations inside the home, I promise you, Beyonce and Justin Timberlake are. As good looking as Justin Timberlake is, he still it is, it, you, I would rather you hear. <laughs> he is, he's fine, come on, admit it. Um, don't, just don't have the conversations in a home, in a godly setting, because I promise you, they're getting it at school. Because you were, Filling that void because there was, were no conversations. There were happening. no conversations, and I was filling this void of what I thought a relationship looked like. By 15, like I said, I was already sexual act, sexually active, and at one point, my uh, mom let me go out with my friends. So a big group of us went out, and we decided that we were going to get drunk at a graveyard because, you know, why not? Let's go find some zombies and <laughs> have at it, you know? <laughs> War of the Worlds going on. Um, and I got so drunk that I blacked out. And to this day, I do not remember what happened. Um, there is some fuzziness, but not enough for me to recall exactly all the details. I do know this, that when, I, when we went to school on Monday, everybody that I had thought were my friends were, were gone. So now I have a family life that's tumultuous. I have compromised who I am in the Lord, and, um, and now I have no friends, so I have no one to speak to, and that was that feeling of just being so alone and so desperate for somebody to care for me and to, to think that I mattered and it, and it wasn't there, and that played out later in life as well. Um, meanwhile. By, meanwhile. Parents made a decision. Yes, so by 16, my mom had had enough. Um, she was completely broken, and while you can fi fix physical things like loss of material gain, you know, and whatnot, it is far harder to fix um, a loss of hopelessness and a loss of no longer feeling cared for. My dad at this point was having open, openly having affairs. Um, I knew about them. Um, so she made the decision to move us to Guam. So I was about 16 at the time and I was angry because again, I'm wearing a mask, right? So you're looking at me and you, you see this person, I was in the honor, I was in the honor, honor society, national honor society, honors classes, straight A this, you know, first chair, second chair, that in the choir. I was gonna graduate early from high school. I was already taking college classes, but under, underneath all of this was just a boiling hot mess. And so my mom moved us to Guam and I was angry um, because you know I, I knew it was miserable, but I knew that life. And now you're taking me, first of all, you've taken me from the comforts of 
Western comforts to an island where <laughs> there's no power. There's, the water can go out. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> All modern conveniences. All the modern conveniences are gone, and we go from this small nuclear family to, y'all, there's like three or 400 first relatives, in, immediate yeah. relatives, okay? I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it, was, it was a shock. Um, so you're emotionally bankrupt. Emotionally bankrupt. Financially, your family's Financially, broke. we're broke. We moved to Guam. We, we go and we live in my, we, my grandparents bought the airline tickets for us to move home. Um, and we went, we lived in their home. So you had a multi-generational home and there was people always coming and going and we had lost everything. So there's the four of us, my mom, my two sisters and I in a, in a small bedroom. And my mom took a job as an assistant. She went from living a very comfortable life to making minimum wage. And we had to live in a multi-generational home. Yeah. Um, if so you're 16. I'm 16. New world. New world. Y'all, it's, it's crazy. I'm side, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. Yeah. The first, my, my grandparents loved to have a parties, and I remember the smell of this odor, and I opened the pot one time, and this bat came straight out, out of the pot, and I thought, I am in purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> this is at least purgatory, y'all. Anyway, yes, it was. That's a, that's a rational assumption, I would say. <laughs> it's rational. Anyway, anyway, yes, it was. But there was also some beautiful things. I got to meet first cousins and build relationships with people that I had never known in, in my life before and really see the side of my mom, that things that she would do when we were growing up in the States, I didn't understand, but they made sense because we were on Guam. So there was some sense of normalcy started yeah. coming into play. You start making friends. You start going, okay, this isn't so bad. Um, and then it all got dark about six months in. Um, I was 16, and I remember um, uh, my grandfather um, touched me for the first time. And I don't really recall um, what I was feeling at that moment. Um, I just thought, what just happened? And this continued for two years, um, the molestation, and, and this is what's playing out in my mind, y'all. No one's gonna, I, first of all, I come from a family that you don't communicate, so I'm thinking to myself, I'm already sexually active, so who's gonna believe a sexually active, a promiscuous 15-year-old that somebody has, in our, in our family that I trusted had inappropriately molested me? Um, they're not gonna believe me, right? The second thing is, we had lost everything, so we had no place to go. We, we didn't have another home to go to. And most of all, I just thought, if he, as long as he's touching me and he's molesting me, he's not touching my sisters and he's not abusing him, them. And that was what played out in my mind so much so that I convinced myself that this is okay, that this is normal. And y'all, it is not normal. I promise you, it is not normal. Um, but I didn't know how to deal with it. So now this is all accumulated. Um, yeah. I've graduated from high school with honors, by the way, because I'm wearing this mask. Because <laughs> I'm wearing this mask, because okay? I'm good at wearing a mask, yeah. which is why this is freaking me out, because I can't wear a mask right now. So, um, You're good. So, 
I'm in college, um, and at it, the, it can, it, it, did it continue into college? Um, about I was about 18 when I started college. Probably going into 19 is when it stopped. I think the final time it stopped. So where is your headspace at that point with men? I mean, men that you should be able to trust. Absolutely not. I had no clue what a relationship, what a healthy relationship looks like, what being with a godly man looks like. And y'all, um, it doesn't stop there. When you don't know what healthy relationships look like, it follows you into other things. It follows you into your education. It follows you into your career. You, do, you build these defense mechanisms to deal with relationship. And I certainly didn't trust men. I mean, yeah, no, absolutely right. not. not no. Um, but I did date somebody for yeah. about two, three years. So did that start in college, that relationship? It did. It okay. started in, I, I, met, I met one man in college, and I honestly can tell you I probably loved him. Uh, it, it was short-lived, six months, but not long after I started dating the man that I was with for two or three years, uh, three years, about three years. So you're, you're still living at home, mm -hmm. starting college. Mm -hmm. The grandfather abuse has sort of slowed down, mm -hmm. stopped, and you're dating. I'm dating Philip. Philip, yeah. And I, I feel like I know Philip. <laughs> <laughs> you y'all are BFF. <laughs> and so tell us about that relationship with Philip. Um, did I love him? No. Did I like him? Yes. Was he endearing? Yes. But there were telltale signs. There think simple things like, hey, I'm going to pick you up and we're going to go to a movie at 2 o'clock. And then at 6 o'clock, I'm still sitting and waiting. Y'all know. No. When a man is going to honor you, let him honor you with his actions. Let him honor you with being a gentleman. And by the way, ladies, let them be a gentleman. If a man opens a door, thank them and let them be that gentleman because I didn't know how to do that. I did not know how to do that. I was so used to taking care of myself and built these defenses. Um, and honestly, being in the relationship with Phil, it, it was miserable toward the end, but I was more afraid of being alone and lonely than I was with being in a miserable relationship. So I stayed. You know, we stayed together. Stayed together for how long? About three years. And, and what were, I mean, at that time, y'all were partying together. Partying. It still it was only him. It was only him. So I'm justifying this, y'all. It's only him. Um, but when we broke up, that was it. I, where were you? Where did, did you all, you moved at some point to California? From Guam to yet. California? I moved oh, you, you were with I him still, on, on, Guam, on Guam. Yeah, I was okay. with him on Guam, yeah. So when you all split... That was it. I came undone, y'all. I did not, I had not dealt with the brokenness in my life. Um, I had dealt, dealt with the shame of, of my own sin. Um, and when we broke up, I came undone. I mean, unhinged, unraveled, put an un in front of another word and you've got it. That's where I was. And I started partying, and my partying included heavy, heavy drinking and clubbing. I wasn't too much into drugs. I dabbled a little bit, but I don't like needles, so we're, not, we're just not even going there. And snorting stuff is just, that's just dumb. <laughs> but, um, but I could drink like a sailor, so there's that. Um, and then, but, worst, but worst of all, I was engaging in open affairs um, and adultery with whoever 
whoever I could. Um, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I was clubbing. It didn't matter if I was in, in my professional life, our professional circles. I needed to feel like somebody wanted me and what, what my life taught me was a man is only gonna want me physically. As a matter of fact, when a man came into my life who really just wanted to talk to me, y'all, I didn't know what to do. The dude, he was tall, he had that long sandy brown hair, he was getting his master's in marine biology. He made me lasagna, y'all, and wanted to sit and talk to me, just talk to me, and I did not know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with that. So the partying and everything continued to the point where I would wake up and not know who I'm sleeping next to. And it, and it continued, it continued through my move in 98. Um, I moved to California and I thought, well, I'll spend one year in California, a country girl, island country bumpkin, never been in a big city. I, I figured I'd stay there for a year and, and live it out. I stayed there for 17, one years, so, <laughs> so loved it out there. <laughs> And this lifestyle continued. It continued. It and continued. And it, it just spiral like get deeper and deeper and darker. It did. With... It got deeper and darker because now you have the internet and online dating, um, which was fairly new back in, in those days. Um, and so it did. And all the while, you know, I was feeling that loneliness. So I was very successful in my career. Um, but my friends were all getting married and or had been married and they were starting to have families and I was thinking what what about me what's wrong with me God where's I knew I knew I wouldn't be married in in my 20s I was far too messed up but I figured by 30 I, I would be by 35 it didn't happen so what was going on in your career though you were really excelling mm -hmm. career wise I was I uh, had um, in, in, on Guam, I had worked for Planet Hollywood. I was their senior retail manager, so I was um, uh, opening up store. We opened the store on Guam, and then I opened up the retail store in Japan, and we were fixing to open up the Philippines when the economy crashed, which prompted the move to, to California. And then in California, I worked for um, f uh, corporate executives in your top 50, top um, Fortune top 50 company, um, a consulting firm. And I started as an assistant, but I eventually worked my way into more global roles, um, yeah. IT services training, that kind of thing. So another mask. Another mask, very much Excelling another mask. There. Excelling, um, doing exactly, just doing exactly what I thought I should be doing. Um, but what about all, your relationship with God at that point? Oh gosh, no. I was, by this point, I'm a crisis Christian. So, meaning when things were going bad, because there, there are, in any life, you're going to have ebbs and flows. And when those, when those ebbs would come, I'd run back to the church because that's what I knew, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you're going for the wrong reason. Um, when you're not surrendered and you're a crisis Christian, it's temporary. It's very, very temporary. Um, and so for a while I'd be fine and then I would just fall back into those old habits. Um, Until? I was 35 and I had gotten really, really sick. So there's, n there's nothing catastrophic about a sinus infection, but by this point, y'all, you gotta think about a, a, a volcano. The, the pressure just builds up and builds up and builds up and then you just, one night I wake up and I'm coughing, I've got a fever, my head is like going to explode. Um, and I just remember going, I have no one to call. I had no friends to call. 
I had no family I could call that were within driving distance. So about two or three in the morning, I am getting myself dressed to take myself to the, the urgent care. And at this point, you know, and, and, and this is what control looks like. I really wanted to cry and just break down at that point, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, I got this, I got this, me, me, Portia's got this, I got it. Um, and so I'm getting myself dressed, and you know like that thing that gets in your fro- throat like a frog, you just wanna cry, but it's just not coming out, and you're just, I'm mad, I'm just all kind of frustrated, right? So I get into my little Honda Prelude, and I drive over to the urgent care, and I, I walk in, and there's you know a mom with a sick child, and someone else that that's sick in there, and I, I check in and everything, and you know you go back to this back room, and and it and y'all just it was it was so dark, it was just gray. Um, and you could see the little flickering lights from all the machines that they hook you up to. And you just, it was cold. Um, you had that one little table and they make you put that little smock on. And uh, the doctor came in and, you know, did everything. Checked my eyes, checked my nose, checked my chest. And, and knew, I knew what I needed. I needed an over-counter prescription um, and some asthma medication. And so he left the room and at this point, I cannot take it anymore. I have, that, that volcano, it has erupted. And I remember I'm, I'm trying to get my blouse back on and I can't see through the tears, y'all. I'm just, I collapsed over the bed. And I am like, God, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot take the pain and the hurt and the loneliness, it was like this big old hole just right here. And y'all, that's how sweet Jesus is. Y'all, he says, he says, I got you, baby girl. He says, I, I got you. And in that moment, I just remember all the, sorry, I just remember the, there's just this overwhelming sense of peace. It, 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 you can't, it, it's Philippians 4. You can't, un, it's indescribable. And I remember the, um, the, the room, it, uh, it, it, it went from this gray, dark, heavy, heavy color and feeling to just this beautiful light, beautiful light. I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I could feel him saying... I got you, baby girl. I love you. You are mine, and I got you. We, go, we, we got this. Let me have it. And so I said, okay. Um, you can have it. During this uh, process, this past month of preparing for tonight, Portia has often talked about how you really related to the Apostle Paul. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like in that moment... Um, I could feel the scales like from the blind man or from the Apostle Paul that the scales just fell off of my eyes and suddenly all of that nerdy stuff that I'd been doing, the reading of scripture, um, the, the, the crisisness of being a Christian, it, it all of a sudden made sense. It was like my head and my heart, the, the spirit just kind of, 
you know, jump-started it with a defibrillator or something, the Holy Spirit defibrillator, I don't know what you call it, but, yeah. but um, all of a sudden, it all made sense. I was like, oh, I, got, I, I, I can see yeah. and I can understand. The, um, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time or new to Bible study, um, the Apostle Paul, uh, we read about him when he first met Jesus in Acts. And he is on the road to Damascus. Mm -hmm. And as he encounters Jesus uh, with a bright light, he is blinded. Mm -hmm. And he is led into Damascus. And meanwhile, the Lord um, speaks to Ananias, a disciple of Christ, and says, go to this man and pray with him. I have plans for him. And I just want to read uh, from Acts 9. 17, on down, we'll see how far we get. Um, <laughs> and so Ananias went over and found Paul and laid his hands on him and said, Brother Paul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit and get your sight back. Instantly, it was as though scales fell from his eyes. Paul could see and was immediately baptized. Then he ate and was strengthened. He stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and went at once to the synagogue to tell everyone there the good news about Jesus, that he is indeed the Son of God. Amen. Portia, when you read this, how, or when you hear this, <laughs> how does this relate to your story? Oh, gosh. Um, when, so we're, we, we're done with that moment in the hospital, that first in the doctor's clinic that first moment. And the Holy Spirit knew that the last thing I needed to do was go back to a church because that's what my answer was in the past. It was like, okay, let me just plug into a church and everything will be fine. And it doesn't work that way. You need to work on the relationship between he and I. So I like to think of it as we were dating for six months. He, he decided I needed to take a leave of absence. I did take a leave of absence from my job for six months. And in this time, I traveled, I was living in, Cal, still in California, so I, was tra I traveled here for a few weeks to, to, to Columbia, to Charleston, where my dad's at. I went to Guam, and then I went to Cusco, Peru. I was on a volunteer vacation, because mind you, I have not surrendered fully at this point. This is just the Holy Spirit feel, filling me and, and, and allowing me to heal and me allowing him to take that big old black hole that was right here and just fill it up. And I remember being in this orphanage with these children and I'm saying to these children, God bless you, I love you. God bless you, I love you. And all of a sudden I heard the Holy Spirit going, I love you, baby girl, I love you. You are mine. And I said, that was just, it was just, again, an over indescribable feeling. So in early 2007, I came back and decided to stay in California. But I knew at this point I needed to plug in right in the right way with, mm -hmm. a, with a church family. And so I went to, I was driving one day and I noticed these, okay, y'all, this is just how blind you can be when there's crust all over your eyes. There were three 100-foot, 110-foot crosses um, in, at my church, three crosses. There's three of them. They stand about 100 to 110 feet, and they, they, they look out onto each side of the San Francisco area. 
And I never noticed these things. And y'all, I drive by that almost every weekend when I would train for marathons. We always trained up in that area and I never saw them until I came back that, 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 that year. So I said, all right, well, all right, God, well, let me go online. <laughs> let, me, let me go online and uh, listen to their sermons. And so I go online, and it's, by this point, it's the summer, and it, they're doing their Summer of Love series, and it's on um, 1 Corinthians 7. Well, this particular series topic was on the gift of singleness. Ho up. <laughs> Wait one minute here, God. Wait a minute, God. Wait a minute, God. I, 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 no, 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 no. I, I, I didn't. Wait a minute. You can't be serious. This is me having a conversation with God, right? Because, you know, we can argue with him. He's going to win, but, you know, we can argue. <laughs> this can't, you cannot really mean that my singleness is a gift. I was so agitated, I showed up the next Sunday. <laughs> I said, I'll show you. So you showed up and you kept going back. I kept going back. I know the date. It was July 29th, 2007. That was my sister's birthday. And I, gave, I went in, I went into service and I never came out. I, I plugged in, I rededicated and surrendered my life at that point fully to, to the Lord. I got back into music, which I had, it was a gifting I had set aside for about 12 years. Um, and I was, I did, I did decide that I wanted to publicly be baptized, even though I had been baptized before. Um, I, so I did in September of that year become, was baptized. So it's not been a bed of roses since. Oh no, absolutely not. So what is it daily you just have to lay down at Jesus's feet? Um, daily, y'all, I know what it feels like to be intimate with somebody. And I don't mean the physical part of it. I mean the mental intimacy, the emotional intimacy, and, and, you, and you long for it and you miss it when you don't have it in your life. And each day I have to wake up saying, God, I choose to be intimate with you each day. I choose you to be the lover of my soul each day and not not my flesh. And it's not always easy. There's some days are harder than others. Um, but that's, that's a part of being a surrendered Christian. It doesn't get easy because you're surrendered. In fact, it probably gets a little harder because now Satan be all like, oh, mm -mm, you did not. And I'm like, mm-hmm, I did. <laughs> so, if, so, you know, he's going to fight. He is going to, Satan is going to tell you that Jesus can't love you because you're dirty. Jesus can't love you because you did, remember what you did over here to that? And in and, and the Holy Spirit, you just go, Holy Spirit, I know you've got me. Mm -hmm. And so every day, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice every day that I'm going to die to this. I'm going to die to my flesh because God has bigger and greater plans that we don't always see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say, you really ministered to me through this process. Y'all, Portia is very courageous because in your culture that you're from, mm. exposing abuse oh, yeah. is very difficult. Exposing very sin is very difficult. difficult. Mm -hmm. So why now? Why decide to share your story now? Um, because... I struggle, and I'm sure some of you do, with how could 
God let bad things happen to an otherwise good person. We all, we all struggle with this. And, if you, and, 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 and I struggled with it for a while. Um, and I recognized that we live in a fallen world. And so it comes with the territory. Um, and as I was, because I'll be honest, I, was, I almost backed out. I, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Um, and I just think that why now is because God has written that story in my heart and in my life to be able to share it with others in the hopes that you're encouraged, in the hopes that you can take that step of faith. If you're a believer, that you'd go deeper into your, your, your walk with Jesus. If you're not a believer, that you talk with somebody and, and find out more um, and I realized too, I think through this, that it was my own selfishness and fear that prevented me from ever sharing my story. And, and in, a, in a more simple way, it's just simply because Aaron and Sarah asked. <laughs> Should've just said that, they asked. I said, yeah, okay. Well, we are, we have just a little bit more time left. Okay. I've saved the best question for last. Okay. How are you like the woman at the well? Oh. <laughs> Y'all, that's a whole Bible study. We need six weeks for that. Um, there's, a, there's a few things I think that I relate to very, very intimately with, with our precious lady at the well. Um, first of all, this is a time in, in, in the life of, of Jesus' ministry where he, he is walking through Samaria. So back in those days, Jewish people and Samaritans, they did not intermingle. They didn't mix with each other. Um, so you walked around and Jesus was like, mm, no, we're going to walk through it. And, I saw, and, and, and so his apostles are probably going, oh, you're crazy. We're going to get beat up. And he's like, no, we're going to walk through it. And so he comes to this well and here comes this lady. Now y'all, it is the sixth hour that basically roughly translates into high noon, which means you're in the desert and it is hot, and she is alone. She's walking there alone. And as I reflected on that, I thought there's two reasons why she's walking there alone to get her water. One is society has casted her out and has said she's not worthy because she's not like us. She's done all this stuff and, 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 and living with all these men and, and whatever her story was. And the second piece of it that I probably related to a little bit more was her own personal shame. She's, she's, she probably feels shame, and so she doesn't feel worthy to be around other people. At the end of the day, it's probably a combination of the two. But never, nevertheless, Jesus meets her there at the well. But it doesn't stop there, y'all. It doesn't stop there. His disciples come back, and they're marveling, because he, he's talking with a girl <laughs> up at a well, okay? And... They, they don't know what to do with this because women, you just didn't talk to women back in those days. Men stayed over here and women stayed over there and that's the way it was. But Jesus was showing you, showing her his love for her, his indescribable love for her. And it doesn't stop there. She sets that jug down, she lays it at his feet and she runs off and she tells everybody, everybody that has talked behind her back about her, everybody that maybe knows her story, everybody that are also sinners. They were probably some corrupt tax collectors in that group and, and whatnot. But 
She goes and she tells them, look at what this man has done. He's seen everything in my life and he loves me. And it doesn't stop there, y'all. Jesus goes to her little village and he stays there for two days ministering, talking with these people. All because, and, and hundreds, by the way, come to faith in him in this little town in Samaria. All because one woman chose to step out in faith. What a beautiful story of someone who's come from all this brokenness and shame and has become a light for others. Well, Portia, that is why you are because you're sharing your story. So thank you. Thank you for thank letting you for me be doing here. Thank you. Portia talks about how she wore a mask. She showed people this version of herself. She was professional, successful, but it was a mask. Graduated with honors, faithful to her boyfriend, but it was a mask. Underneath, she was confused and ignoring pain that she hadn't dealt with. Underneath, she was rationalizing things she knew were bad choices. She had a mask to show people that she was fine, even succeeding. The irony is the mask was keeping her from seeing the truth. The mask gave her scales on her own eyes. The mask wasn't to stop others from seeing her. It was so she didn't have to see herself, so she could ignore the pain. You know what else she masked? This one is tricky, and a lot of us are guilty of it. Portia was going to church. She learned the Bible as a child, as an adult. And when she messed up, she would show back up at church. Guys, I love my church. My people are there. My accountability is there. My church is a beautiful community that encourages me to seek God daily and teaches me to pursue a relationship with God. Jesus loved the church. But the goal is not attending church. The goal is salvation, freedom, pursuing God and going to Him daily in a relationship. So then Portia finally stops and the scales fall away from her eyes and she finally sees the mask for what it is and lets it go. She lets go of fooling herself and rationalizing her actions. And when she lets go of the pretending, it's empty and lonely, and it's scary. Surrendering is scary, but only for a moment. On the other side of that surrender and fear is a loving God and all the joy and peace He has to offer. She says she finally dated God. Ah, the relationship. God was there and ready. Relationships can't be one-sided. It takes us to date him, to look at him, and to talk to him. Friends, especially my podcast friends that I wish I all knew personally, please know that we see you out there and we want you to reach out to us. We have a space on our website for you to contact us directly, shandon.org slash the well. There is a link to next steps and you can tell us anything. Do you need help? Do you need someone to talk to? We won't know if you don't tell us. I hope to see more of you next month at the live event. The current schedule is linked on the episode, and we would love to have you.